Good morning, everyone. Having a bit of fun this morning, aren't we? It seems really strange seeing you all sat out there and not rose. Like, it probably feels weird to you as well, so anyway. Uh, great. Okay, so um, this morning we are continuing the habits of happiness, and we are talking particularly about the pathway to happiness, the journey to happiness, because the pursuit of happiness tends to be the chief concern of humanity. In what way can I be happy? And, you know, if I popped down to the Broadway now and asked a few people, I'm sure the answers I would get would be get an education, get a job, have lots of money, have a family, and go on some great holidays. Yeah? I mean, it sounds pretty good to me. My bucket list is filled with all these places I want to go on holiday. Um, but the Bible says that humility guarantees happiness. And this morning we're going to look at the very countercultural idea that it's not what we have or how much of a certain thing we can get or where we can go or what we can do with our lives, but it's actually that happiness is created through humility, this countercultural idea. Because every one of these things that the world says offers happiness will always come up short. You will always want more money. You'll always want a better job. You'll always want a better family, um, or at least they'll probably let you down at some point, won't they? We'll always be, there'll always be more places to go on holiday. There's always something else, and something else, and something else. And yet, with humility, there is peace. With humility, there is joy. And uh, conflict is one of the biggest sources of unhappiness. And uh, we need to learn how to deal with conflict. And humility is key to removing pride, which is the source of conflict in our lives. In, uh, in Proverbs 13.10, it says, uh, pride leads to arguments. And this morning, we're really going to focus on this passage from 2 Philippians, which helps us to really understand the relationship between pride, between harmony, and happiness as well. So this part comes from uh, Philippians 2, 1 to 11, and it's the greatest guide I think there is in the Bible in terms of looking at how we find happiness, how we find joy and contentment. And it shows us that relationship between humility, harmony, and happiness. So as I read through this chunk of the Bible, I want you to see if you can spot that relationship and that journey of where we're going over the next uh, 20 or so minutes. So it reads, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, by being one in spirit and of mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in an appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him 
to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Christ Jesus is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. There we have it. Yeah, I wanted to say amen at the end. I don't know why. Just, just felt good and it feels right. Um, there it is. Harmony creates happiness. Humility creates harmony. Jesus modeled both of these things. God's model for our relationships is to develop four kinds of happiness, uh, four kinds of harmony that creates happiness. Having the same mind, did you, see, did you hear that in the passage? Having the same mind, having a sort of mental harmony, so to speak. Sharing the same love, having an emotional harmony. And having a unity of purpose, directional harmony. And a same spirit, spiritual harmony. How great would it be if every single one of our relationships was filled with those things? The same mind, same love, unity of purpose, and the same spirit. Just think how different our relationships with our partner would be, how different our relationships with our family would be, how different our relationships with our colleagues would be if we could have those things. Think how different our church would be if we could do all of that stuff together as well. And this stuff is, is countercultural. As Matt pointed out earlier on, the whole idea of humility leading to happiness as opposed to all the stuff and all the things that I can get, this stuff is countercultural because it's exactly the opposite to what the world says. But there aren't many successful marriages in the world, are there? Could you name three or four famous celebrity marriages, maybe five, that have stood the test of time? I'm not sure if I could. There aren't many examples at all. The world isn't very good at relationships. They're just not. And it's because they don't follow these principles. And the reason they don't is because it doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel natural. It doesn't feel like the right thing to do because we're naturally wired to want to indulge ourselves. And that is where it all goes wrong when we make ourselves the center of the story. And so the first, uh, the first thing we're going to talk about this morning, really, is, uh, is this phrase. And I'm going to try something fun, okay? I'm going to say the phrase, and then I'm going to encourage you to say the phrase back and see how this goes, okay? Could be fun. Right. Never let my pride be my guide. Okay? Your turn. Never let my pride be my guide. All right. Good. This is a good start. Uh, I think all that walking around has kept people awake this morning which is nice. Right, so um, sim simple enough really to understand is that pride is the root of every other sin. It's what I want, and it's what I want, and I want it now. I want it right now. And uh, our society rewards narcissism, okay? Narcissism, the focus is all about me, originally from, um, I think it was a, a, a Greek fable of a guy called Narcissus who stared at a reflection of himself for too long. Um, but this whole idea of narcissism and arrogance, that actually the people who get paid the most and the people who make the most noise attract the most attention and we give them attention. More money, more press, more focus, more reports. You only have to look at a few world leaders to really get your head around what narcissism and ego potentially look like in today's society. 
But what Philippians 2 verse 3 says is don't do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't do anything. How hard is that just to think about that as a concept? Don't do anything from selfish ambition or vain conceit. So selfish ambition, what does that mean? Well, in, uh, in simple terms, it's my needs, my wants, my fears, my success. People walk out of marriages because they stand, it stands in the way of their career or their needs or what they think that they, are, they deserve or they're entitled to. And vain conceit, I'm always right. Does anyone else occasionally get those moments? No? Okay. For me, definitely in the past week or so, I felt like as I've been preparing this, God has been challenging me with opportunities to say I'm wrong. Because, uh, yeah, I'm really pleased Gemma isn't here this morning to hear this talk, but I have definitely failed in that in the past week or so. Um, apparently, me smashing a glass was definitely her fault. It was a strange one. Um, but we expect people to, to do things for us. We expect people to behave in a certain way. I am here on the social standings, and you, you're over there. So I say this, you do that. You respond in this way. This whole idea of vain conceit, I am right. You are wrong. I hold these views. Your views are wrong. Selfish ambition, vain conceit. And if we look at the book of uh, Galatians as well, many of you will be familiar in, uh, in chapter 5 with um, the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. But before that, there's this long list of the effects of living with pride. And everybody reads the first couple where it talks about self-indulgence and wild partying and go, actually, you know what, I'm pretty good with those. And we switch off. And we, we don't really realize that there's a whole load more there that we're not actually looking at. Because the sins are harder to escape from as we go down that list. The effects are harder to escape from as we go down that list because they're more relational. But we've already given ourselves the get-out clause before we get to them. Quarreling, conflict, jealousy, anger, divisions, and feeling that everyone else is wrong except for those in your little group. You know, every time I read that one, that last one there in the Bible, or hear someone preach on that, I feel like God hits me each time. Because I'm, I'm so guilty of thinking that everybody I talk to and my friends, we're right, and anyone outside of that group, well, they're not quite so right. So it's a real challenge there. So, first of all, your habit for, for happiness, you need harmony. And to get harmony, you need humility. So never let pride be my guide. Okay, next, next chance for you to say something. This is point number two. Okay, be humble or I'll stumble. Okay, <laughs> ready? Be humble or I'll stumble. Good, see? Bit of poetry this morning as well. That you didn't think you'd be getting involved in that. If I'm not humble, then my relationships will crumble. You give each other, yeah, I know it's amazing, isn't it? Um, <laughs> You give each other respect and honor. Try and outdo each other in giving one, other, one another respect. In a marriage, you don't just go 50-50. You don't just split it down the middle. You go 100%, 100%. And this is what it says in Philippians 3. It says, instead, be humble and give more honor to others than yourself. 
Give more honor to others than yourself. Society says, I've got to look after number one. I've got to look after number one. And if it feels good, then do it. Get out there. Make the most out of life. I am number one. And humility is a misunderstood quality, really. Because people think that you know, it's, it's all about making yourself out to be absolutely nothing. I'm no good. I'm not very good. I've messed up here. I've screwed up there. I'm not that great. I'm not that intelligent. I was bottom of my class. All of those sorts of things. That's not humility. That's false humility. Because false humility is about focusing on you, and it's about focusing on your weaknesses and where you fail. But true humility, as C.S. Lewis put it, is humility is not thinking less of yourself, okay? So not thinking about all the things that you get wrong, but it's thinking of yourself less. There's an important distinction there, because that's what C.S. Lewis is talking about. There's an important distinction, that it's not about you and your, your strength or lack thereof, but it's actually about thinking about other people. You don't think about yourself. You think about other people. That's what humility is. If you're walking into a room and you're thinking about yourself, then that's pride. How can I get the most out of these people? How can I get these people to serve me? Um, but actually, the flip side of that is, how can I help these people? Because great people make people feel great. Little people belittle people. And humility is not denying your strengths, but it's being honest about your weaknesses. It's being honest about where you fall short and where you fail. You need to be honest about both. Not just honest about your strengths or covering over your weaknesses, but being honest about both and then valuing others more than yourself. And God makes more promises about humility than any other thing in the Bible except for generosity. So if God's making promises about these things, it's probably the kind of thing that we want to be following. That if generosity is the number one thing, and then at number two is humility, there's promises. These kind of promises are the promises that God gives to people who are humble. He says in, in the scriptures, he says, I will give you my presence. Who wants God's presence this morning? I will give you my power. We all need God's power. I will give you my peace I will give you prosperity, and I will give you honor. It's the exact opposite to the world. God blesses the humble. God opposes the proud. You know, it's quite easy to sanitize God and say, well, you know, God, God's, God's love, right? God doesn't hate things. God's not against certain, you know, God's not against stuff. God's love. He's a loving guy. But the Bible tells us that God hates ego. He hates arrogance. He hates conceit. But he gives grace to the humble. The ability to resolve a conflict when I don't want to or the ability to get along with people when everything else around it is trying to tear this situation or this relationship apart. God blesses the humble, but God opposes the proud. And if I'm in a situation where I think that I'm right, but I'm not humble about it, the Bible tells me that I am in opposition to God. So I might have the right end of the stick, but I'm going about it all the wrong way. 
So, you know, if, if you're that person, you've got the right answers, you've got all the answers. If you go with pride, you're in opposition to God. If you go with humility, you're going in God's strength. So, never let pride be my guide, and I must be humble or I will stumble. Okay? We're up to number three. Ready for another opportunity to shout out some... This one doesn't rhyme. Sorry, guys. I know. Disappointing. We could try and make it rhyme. Mark, can you come and play us a little bit of guitar underneath and we'll, uh, we'll do that. Um, it's learn the lost art of paying attention. Okay? It's a bit more of a mouthful. So I'll say it one more time and then you guys. So learn the lost art of paying attention. Your turn. Learn the lost art of paying attention. Great. We live in a world where everything is, um, everything is ADD, sort of attention deficit disorder. It's all about me, what's going on, um, checking the Facebook, checking your phone, checking to see what people really think about you, all of that kind of stuff. We've, uh, we've got technology that's trained us fantastically to uh, really behave and respond in a certain way. And we get really wrapped up in ourselves to notice what else is going on around us. And at this point, it would feel very easy for me to slip into uh, some kind of rant about social media, which seems to be the popular topic for church leaders at the moment, to rant about social media. But what I'd like to do is flip the spotlight a little bit more onto us, because um, the secret is that social media is not the problem. You are. Um, I am. We are. Okay. We all had this problem before social media existed. We just found something that made it easier, made it more socially acceptable. This problem has always been my problem. This problem has always been your problem. It has always been our problem. It's just exposed us for who we are. We are selfish and we are wrapped up in our own things, our own lives, our own busyness. What does everybody think about me? What does everybody think about the, the food that I put on my plate tonight for dinner? All these kind of highlight reels of life that we, we put out there, that my life is amazing. But the fact is that this story and this problem has been with us since the dawn of um, time in terms of the first, the first thing that entered the world, that it's all about me. And if you don't believe me that social media isn't the problem, just open up your Bible. Turn to the parable of the Good Samaritan and you'll realize that we're all just wrapped up in our own stories and our own messages and too busy to care about other people or notice what is going on around us. Just to paraphrase the, uh, the Good Samaritan story, two people walked past someone in need because they had appointments to go to and because they had rules to keep and all of those kinds of things. We all have our own thing and it's not social media, it's in our nature. And if we leave this unchecked, then we live selfishly and we don't pay attention to the needs of others around us. So in Philippians 4, 2, it says, don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in what concerns others too. A powerful, powerful tool for living happily. Be interested in what others are interested in. That is truly what love is. Those are the kinds of things that builds relationships. You know, asking people, what are you interested in? You know, are you interested in what your wife has to say, your partner has to say? Are you interested in what your kids have to say? Are you interested in what your friends have to say to you? Or are you just interested in what you're interested in and want to talk about you and your achievements and your successes? You know, if I, if I took my phone out now and I took a photo of this room, 
okay? And at the end, I had them all printed up, and everybody got to leave with a photo of this beautiful bunch of people. Tell me, who is the first person you'd look for? It's yourself, isn't it? And then on top of that, when you look for yourself and you find yourself on there, if you've got your eyes open and you've got your perfect smile on and you've got a nice shirt on and you're looking great, it's a great picture. But if you've got your eyes closed or you're looking somewhere else, it's a bad picture, isn't it? Because it's all about you. It's all about you. So if you want to be happy, you have to change your frame of reference. If you're only interested in what concerns you, then you won't find happiness. So can I encourage you this morning, give people attention, because attention is your time, and you can't get it back. That's the hard part about it. I can give people money, I can go and get more money, but time, when it's gone, it's gone forever. I just play a quick video clip just to really reinforce what, uh, what I'm saying here. I will go as far as to say this is probably one of my favorite adverts of all time um, because I see myself in it every time I watch it, okay? And I know, I know that I'm not alone when I, when I say that. We have all been there where we've been really wrapped up in our own thing and our own activity and we know someone's talking to us and they, they, they've ended, they've stopped talking and you know there was a question there. And you are mentally scrabbling through your mind going, what were they talking about? Terracotta or blue? Like, I just love that answer because it's so true. It was just such an amazing window into um, my self-centeredness. And it's an old advert. You won't get it on TV anymore. But I absolutely love it because it puts that spotlight right on us and just goes, yeah, that's me. That's me. I'm too busy doing my emails because you're not important. I'm important. And that's not what the Bible says the pathway to happiness is. The pathway to happiness is opening up our minds and opening up our hearts and giving our time and attention to other people. So, recap. Never let my pride be my guide. Be humble or I will stumble and learn the lost art of paying attention. And then finally, for a bit of cliche fun, what would Jesus do? Okay, ready? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? In Philippians 5, it says your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ. Lower conflict and raise harmony. That is what uh, Jesus is talking about here. You know, so if we're talking about what would Jesus do, then ask yourself the question, what is the humble answer to this? Because that is what Jesus would do. The answer is, what's the answer that will build Harmony and humility. But it's hard to know what Jesus would do in, in any and every situation. And I think this passage helps us to understand a little bit by giving us three examples. Um, first being that I don't demand what I think 
I deserve. Because what it says in Philippians 2, verse 6, it says, Though he was God, he didn't cling to his rights. He emptied himself of all he had. You know, in this, in this country, we are, we are blessed to have rights. Rights to a fair trial, rights to a number of different things. But if you find yourself in a position where you're demanding your rights, when you're demanding your rights, then you're on the wrong path. There are better ways of getting your rights than demanding them. Yes, you have rights, but you won't get your, right, your, your rights or your needs met by demanding them. And it's a playoff between being understanding or demanding in situations. There's a, there's a tension between those two and getting that right. So if you can get what your rights are or your needs met without blowing people off, then it's a really good way of being more like Jesus. So don't cling to your rights and what you deserve, but put yourself in the other person's shoes and allow that moment just to kind of understand a little bit more about the situation and what they're going through. Uh, look for ways that I can serve is the second point within this. In uh, Philippians 2.7, uh, it says, Jesus took on the nature of a servant. It's countercultural. The whole goal, goal of life seems to be set up in the workplace where the more people you can get to serve you, the bigger deal you are. And the Bible flips it on its head and says, no, the more people you can serve, the more important you are. It's the other way around. Self-esteem comes from service and not from all the accolades and the people that work for you and the bank balance and all of that kind of stuff. It's, uh, it's known as the Mother Teresa principle because God raised up someone who served so many people to go and have influence over the UN, over governments and policies and all she did was serve. Serve, serve, serve. What can I do for these people today that will make their world and make their experience that little bit better? And this habit is developed in the little things, in the little things that every day there are little tests throughout the day. How can I serve someone else? Maybe as simple as just returning the shopping trolley cart back to the, the place it came from. God tests these habits every day, but the character is shown in the big things. If you want to be the person who makes the right decision in the big things, in the big challenging situations and scenarios, build a habit of service in the little things. Do what is right, even when it's painful. Philippians 2.8, while living as a man, Jesus humbled himself even more by being obedient to God, even when this meant death on a cross. Do what's right, even when it's painful. And just to close, this passage ends in, uh, in Philippians 2, uh, 9 to 11, with explaining what the reward for humility was and reward for the life that Jesus lived was, which was, therefore God elevated him to take the place of highest honor and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory 
of God the Father. One day, every one of us will declare together that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, every person in Bradford will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, every person here in the UK, across Europe, and across the world will declare in unison that Jesus Christ is Lord. One day, we'll acknowledge that God is God and that we are not. And the sooner we realize that we're not the master of our own life or the master of our own fate, that in reality, most of the things that make you, you, you're not in control of. The where and the when of you being born. I did not choose to be born in the UK. I did not choose to be born in Solihull. I didn't choose who my parents were. I didn't choose who raised me. The way I look, a large part of my personality, I'm not hugely in control of all of those things. God is God. We are not. So when you feel discouraged, when you feel fearful, when you feel like something is robbing your joy, when you feel tired, when you feel lonely, when you're grieving, when you're struggling with debt or addiction or worklessness, Jesus is Lord. Whatever that situation is this morning, just think and declare this truth over that, that Jesus is Lord. Humility is the pathway to happiness. But to be truly humble, we have to recognize that Jesus is Lord and that we are not. And you'll be a lot more happy and a lot more content knowing this deep truth. So just uh, before Matt comes up to close the service, I just want you to take a moment and think of whatever that thing is that is robbing you from your joy. And we're going to say one last thing together. And it's that Jesus is Lord. Okay? So just think. What's that thing right now that's robbing you of your joy? Got it? Ready? On three. Jesus is Lord. Okay, just to finish. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord. Great.